you. I'm Batman. Welcome, podcast listeners of Gotham, to the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast look at the entire Batman franchise. To the Batmobile! This could be the break we've been looking for! Join Dark Knight Garrett Collins. You look fine. I didn't ask. Boy Wonder Matthew Goudreau. This is why Superman works alone. And the world's greatest podcast detective, Adam Bunch. Loose to plague us with his criminal conundrums. As they look at most of the cinematic incarnations of Gotham's favorite vigilante crime fighter. You must be joking. Do I look like I'm joking? From the Adam West, Burt Ward starring Batman 66. Someday she just can't get rid of a bomb. To Tim Burton's late 80s, early 90s take. I believe the word you're looking for is all the way through Matt Reeves Robert Pattinson starring The Batman two years of night have turned me into a nocturnal animal these podcasters take the rogues gallery journey through one of the most popular comic book franchises of all time this town needs an enema So start up your podcast mobile. Fortune smiles, another day of wine and roses. Or in your case, beer and pizza. <laughs> and make sure your butler doesn't let your girlfriend in on the secret. Has anybody ever told you you have a serious impulse control problem? That the percolated media, Batman Retrospective, begins now. Let's kick some ice. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Released March 25th, 2016. Budget was $260 million. Box office, $872.6 million. And this was directed by Zack Snyder. Boy, there's so much to discuss with this one. I, I, I don't even know where to begin. But let's begin how we ended up here. Because Matt and Adam, we've had to skip a little bit ways to get here. <laughs> Last time we spoke to you about Batman, we did Catwoman, and that was 12 years before this movie hit theaters, and Matt, let's discuss exactly why we skipped around the way we did. Sure. When we decided to finally do this retrospective, being us, we wanted to be as thorough as we possibly could, without retreading previous stuff we've done. So if those of you that are first-time listeners are wondering why we jumped from Catwoman to Batman v Superman, is because we did the Nolan films in... Tremendous detail over when we were at Binge. So that's why we're not double dipping. But we arrived here because this is a movie that Batman is titular. He's top build. He's a new Batman. So we thought it was apropos to do everything in the in the DC universe, their Marvel, their MCU equivalent that features Batman and Batman supporting characters, which is going to explain some of the later movies we do. Actually, several most of the next movies are going to be all those types of movies. So that's why we're going the direction that we are. Yeah, if you want to get all the details, just like I, like Matt said, go to Binge. It's at the end of every one of these podcasts. I get those credits. Uh, head on over there because, as he said, we, we go into major detail with a guy over there by the name of Jack Valvey, who is a huge Nolan fan. And uh, those ended up being pretty good shows, too. But then we get to this one. Now, 
So next year, we're going to be covering my favorite comic book character, and God, I can't wait to get to Superman next year. And so three years before this, they did Man of Steel. Adam, why did they jump into Batman v Superman three years later? Aren't they supposed to do another Batman film? Or were they following a Marvel template? Why are we all of a sudden at the dawn of justice here? I know that the easy thing is, oh, they're copying Marvel, they're following Marvel. They're copying Marvel, they're following Marvel. But at some point, maybe they are by mashing stuff up. But this was a way to, even though we get part of it this way, you know, everybody always complains, I'm tired of origin films, I'm tired of retreading the same thing over and over. Well, this was a way just to say, hey, we got a different kind of Batman. He was older, he was put through, so why not just start midway through the story instead of starting at the beginning and watching freaking pearls and stuff all over again? You know, it's it's kind of the Spider-Man thing. You know, everybody's tired of watching Uncle Ben get killed. Eh, people are tired of the Waynes getting killed. So I think it was a way, you know, and I think Zack Snyder, of anybody, I think he wants a Batman movie more than a Superman movie. So I think this was definitely gearing towards that. And don't forget, this property, Batman, is an IP there is nothing even close worldwide for what he makes. I mean, Superman is the original. He's the symbol of hope, and he can't come close to matching Batman in popularity and sales and net worth for Warner Brothers, now Discovery Warner Brothers. I mean, it's it's crazy. So to put these two together, I think it was not only hoping, yes, to get their franchise a few more steps down the road, but I think they were hoping that it would boost Henry Cavill's Superman as well. You know, I'm one of the uh, – we'll discuss it next year, but – uh yeah, I think that's really where they were looking at for it. Man of Steel comes out, and it does pretty good, but I don't think it did as much as Warner Brothers was hoping. And my feeling is, instead of jumping into Batman, they were just like, you know what, we're not going to fuck around with putting another more characters into this universe. And I think Adam outlined it perfectly. I think putting Batman in this was a way to boost that particular character and to kind of get this team together, which the Avengers had done four years before this movie had even come out. So it's really crazy that we're doing it this way because, as Matt said, you know, we haven't covered Superman yet. We are planning on covering it next year. It is on the schedule for next year. And, again, I will go into major detail as my feelings on that when we get into it. And this podcast will pretty much just revolve around mostly the Batman characters in this because those are the characters we've been following. I'm going to talk with these gentlemen about maybe doing this again next year. I'm not sure if we'll all still be standing by the end of this fight, much like Superman at the end of this movie. I have reservations about exactly how we came to this and why Snyder wanted to do this. I'm looking at this strictly on the part of Warner Brothers. Man of Steel, yes, it did well, but I think they'd be lying if they said they were not disappointed. There's an important piece to this puzzle that we haven't yet talked about. Man of Steel really emphasized Christopher Nolan as a producer, because that came out a year after his Batman trilogy ended. And I think even with that name, it still was not the gangbuster piece of business that Warner Brothers wanted, which is telling, because if you notice, this movie was announced at the 2013 San Diego Comic-Con. So we knew almost immediately that they were bringing Batman into their, their upcoming universe, which I was fully supportive of. I thought... Much like Adam said, I don't need to see the Batman origin told again. And sucks to be me based on the opening of this movie. But that notwithstanding, I am one of those people who is tired of origin stories. When it came to Batman Begins, and we talked about this on Dinge, it was important to do that because no one had really done it cinematically in that thorough of a examination of, of Bruce Wayne putting on the Batsuit and becoming the symbol. Superman was reinvented for Man of Steel. 
because prior to that, we only had the Donner universe. So Superman was already set up. Everyone knows who Batman is. Let's just jump into it. And I love the idea of taking a Superman who has just found his purpose, comparing him with a Batman who has been doing this for 20 years. I think that was that's a very interesting place to start your cinematic universe with a year two Superman and a 50-year-old Batman. All right, you guys mentioned Batman. You guys mentioned Nolan. I got to ask you guys, is this a continuity of that universe? Or are we starting over here? Because I'm seeing traces of the Nolan-verse in this. I'm seeing continuity from previous Dark Knight movies in this that has to do with this Batman. Like, could we have plugged Christian Bale in this and have it actually work? Or is this a completely new Batman that we're working with here? So this is a completely a new continuity. Nolan said that he was done after Rises. And I think that's like I said, thematically why he went the way he did with Rises. Look, they've been trying to do a Batman and Superman crossover movie for years. There was talks of doing, and this never came to fruition, the idea of taking Brandon Routh's Superman and putting him with Christian Bale's Batman, just doing like a world's finest for just the two of them. That fell by the wayside. But to answer your question forthright, this is its own new continuity. This is not the same Batman that Christian Bale portrayed. And part of that was there was a group of fans, and we'll talk about this momentarily, that were so against Ben Affleck being cast that they came up with theories that he was playing Deathstroke and he was posing as Batman, among many possible ideas. It was insane that people were... The minute Ben Affleck was announced, it was like the end of Man of Steel. You could have heard him yelling across the entire universe. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I remember that outcry. It, it seems like we, we go through this every single time we talk about a new Batman being cast. But this in particular, especially after, and we'll talk about it, he did Daredevil. And he you could tell while he did that movie, he really wanted to be Batman. And sure enough, Snyder gets this gig, and he plugs Affleck in this part. Was there anybody else even considered? Or was Affleck their number one choice, especially after he became an Oscar winner? There was one other choice that was very close to signing. And I find this very ironic because there's always the DC versus Marvel camps. They were seriously looking at Josh Brolin to play. Were they really? To, mm-hmm. to play this Batman. And he even mentioned that he, you know, he talked to Zack Snyder about it, but he didn't feel it, w- it was going to be the right move for his career. And then from there, he becomes Thanos. So I, I just think that's very interesting. But all in all, it seemed like when Snyder was putting this movie together, he had very specific takes on all of these characters, which leads me to believe he wrote these with actors in mind. And I really admire that. Adam, you're a pretty big Batman fan. How were you feeling once Affleck was announced as our new Batman? I remember that morning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like I remember seeing that first going, no, that's not true. And then going on a legitimate site. And there were three people that were extremely excited when Ben Affleck was cast. One was Kevin Smith. One was Affleck's agent. I think Affleck's agent was happier than Affleck himself. And the other was me. I was extremely excited about this casting from day one. I think I tweeted out Batfleck within five seconds of hearing the news because it sounded right. And then Batfleck is the hashtag for everything. I like the guy as an actor. I kind of always have. I think he's amazing as a director. So... For me, I didn't have the baggage that so many people seem to have with Affleck. I thought he looked the part. I thought he had the talent for the part. When it comes to Daredevil, which is a very similar in concept type of hero, 
I thought for the issues that movie has, and it's amazing that just like this one, there's two versions of that movie. I don't fault Affleck for any of the issues in that movie. I thought he actually portrayed Matt Murdock pretty damn well. So I thought he would be a great fit for this in look, in presence. And one of the things that they seem to cast on, in chin. He's got the chin for Batman. <laughs> and then his build. The symbol that they showed at Comic-Con was Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns Batman, which is it's also, you know, it's known as the Fat Bat. And I've never liked the logo that way, but it really fit for just that giant tank of a man kind of Batman. It's what I think Nolan really wanted to do with the Dark Knight Rises before Heath Ledger killed himself. I think that's what that movie was going to be. So it's not out of the realm that only a few years later, DC's like, nah, fuck it, we're going to do it now. So as much as this isn't the Dark Knight Rises or Dark Knight Returns, it takes a lot from the fucking miniseries. Batman v Superman. Is this a comic book series, or no. is this like the end of a comic? I get the feeling, especially from watching this movie, and, and this series must have come out, again, after I stopped reading these books. I stopped reading these comics in the mid to late 90s. Did they actually do a comic book series on this, or is this just like an imagination thing of take your toys and just mash them together and see who comes out on top? So the story that they came, that Snyder and, and company, specifically David Goyer and Chris Terrio, came up with. This is kind of an exclusive take. Batman and Superman have had very huge disagreements, oftentimes in a physical confrontation. Dark Knight Returns, the third part of that story, is built upon them coming to blows over their worldviews. I think it's been overdone personally. And I, and I say this as a comic book fan. My problem has always been, up to this point, Batman, more often than not, is portrayed as the person who's in the right. I think the Injustice comic does the biggest disservice. It basically takes the idea of Superman being a fascist to its fullest extent. But, of course, who's the one person who leads the insurgents? It's Batman. That's always one of, That's always DC's go-to. There's other people who can oppose Superman. It's just that because these two are the most popular characters in, in the DC pantheon, it's always made sense to pair the two of them together. The way it's depicted here, I don't recall reading anything that that is evoked outside of some iconography and, as Adam mentioned, some visual cues from Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, there, I mean, there, there's been a lot of comics that actually have Batman versus Superman and Superman versus Batman. I've got a couple hardcover collections that use a logo similar to this, but not quite. So there's a lot out there that are put together. Nothing that is this story that they built together. A lot of times it's random disagreements. There's an animated movie that's actually done pretty well that came out a few years before this, not not very long. I mean, you're always going to kind of butt your two heroes up against each other. It's, I mean, it's event comics. It's why Marvel every six months has got an event, and they can't even finish event before the next one spoils the one they're currently in. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's just kind of the, it, it's the business model. You know, when your sales are slowing down, grab your toys and fighty, 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 and hope to get some attention. Well, Goyer even said as much. I remember in the lead-up to this, you know, when they were in the developing process of it, he said it kind of feels like a last resort, where, uh, and I actually agree with him, you know, let's put them together and see what happens kind of thing instead of actually developing something. And that's and the way I felt. This movie, and we'll talk about it, it really feels like a reactionary piece to what Man of Steel created three years before. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about Man of Steel next year. But in the context of this film, would you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah. It's at least written into it, if not some executive there going, holy shit, we got to find a way to quell this in the next movie. Mm -hmm. You know, and, it, and instead of doing that in a, I don't know, a Superman movie, they decided to work it into this. Yeah, that was my 
my resistance to what, when I heard what this movie was going to be, because this movie, anytime there was a piece of news, it was like the talk of the town. We, we knew it was Batman versus Superman. But then they said, no, Wonder Woman's going to be in it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. We've never seen Wonder Woman outside of Linda Carter. Then they're like, no, all, all the Justice League is going to be in it. And then you see the trailers, and it's Doomsday. I was like, this seems so overwrought. And to me, it, based on the marketing and all the news, it seemed like they were they, – they took the title. By the way, I hate this title. It sounds like a direct-to-video Warner Brothers movie. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible. It's an awful title, and I, I didn't think – this looked to me – that Warner Brothers had not learned their mistakes from specifically Green Lantern. Because let's not forget, that was supposed to launch a whole DC universe. That movie was too many cooks in the kitchen and, and too much going on. When I saw all the stuff that was going, even though I knew it was Zack Snyder at the helm and he seemed the driving force, all the stuff that was being thrown in, I questioned if that was his idea or Warner Brothers continually jumping the gun to play catch up with Marvel because by this point Marvel had already done two Avengers movies and they were about to do their big versus movie that summer. Now all that being said, trailers starting to come out. Adam, are you excited for this? I could not have popped harder than, you know, when that logo showed up at Comic-Con. Uh when the trailers showed up, seeing the armored bat suit, I I I couldn't fucking believe it. I could not believe that they were actually going to pull that off that they had the white eye slits which you know, you're never going to do that in an actual movie. Well, they found a way to do it. So the look and everything else, I mean, the trailers alone, it would have been hard for me to be more excited about this. I remember the scene that they showed where Batman's looking at Superman. He says, do you bleed? You will. That was actually pretty cool to see. I had gone to Comic-Con a couple years before that, and that was a time when I was really wishing I was there for that. That seemed like it would have been cool. But man, when they started releasing these trailers, that first teaser, I was like, God, can you get any more downtrodden? Can you get any more fucking depressing? And then they released the second trailer, which gave away... The fucking ending of this movie, by the way. Not the very, very end, but what we see at the end of this. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, you have nothing else to show us. You have already blown your load telling us exactly what's going to happen in this fucking movie. What else are you going to fucking do? This is when I started thinking desperation. That was when I started to really rebel against the marketing, is that yeah. when I walked into this movie, there were no surprises in store for me because all three acts of the movie are depicted in the various marketing campaigns. Now, I don't know if that mm -hmm. was... If that was Warner Brothers, like you said, being, you know, trying to make as much money off this movie as possible. But the problem is people are going to go see this movie based on Batman Superman. It had never been done on screen before in live action, putting these two titans together. That is immediately going to draw a crowd. And I, I can't believe we live in a world where a movie that makes almost $900 million is considered a failure. Yeah. <laughs> Big failure. Massive failure. Yeah. It's like when um, Singer was bitching, too. And we'll talk about this next year. When Superman Returns made almost $500 million, he's like, what, that's a flop? Really? <laughs> like, it was the same you shit know, going on here. That's the crazy thing. When you look at the timelines, too, of all these movies at this time, you know, that was going around. We just discussed Catwoman. That was only a year before Batman Begins, which was only a year before Superman Returns. After that, then they started, while the Nolan verse is going on, you know, while he's preparing Dark Knight, which, you know, some people think is the greatest, you know, superhero film ever, you know, really broke the mold, changed the Oscars, you know, let's at least give it that. At the point where that is going on, DC Warner Brothers is working to do a standalone Justice League movie with George Miller. You know, so even while that's going on, you know, years before this, they were like, let's build a new team. And there was no one involved actor-wise with any of, you know, Superman, Batman, 
that were going to be in those. It was a completely new cast, you know, that, fuck, that movie shut down a week before they, you know, yeah. started filming. So it's crazy that, that they just cannot get their ducks in a row ever for what they want to, what they want to do. And I think part of the budget inflations, part of the way they spread out the cost and why some of these budgets look the way they do is because they spread it out in the way of Hollywood math to appease their corporate masters and, and financial, financial detectives that they use. If George Miller would have got off the ground, if they would have started filming, this never would have occurred. Two years before this, we got the animated The Dark Knight Returns, and that's an amazing two-pack movie that just kind of takes half of and puts together, or a quarter of it and puts it in. Uh, wasn't Army Hammer supposed to be Batman in that? I yeah, Arm, Army, Army Hammer was, was Batman. Yep, he was going to be Batman. Jamie Alexander was going to be Wonder Woman, I believe. I'm trying to think, but but it was it was all cast. They were they were ready to roll. George, mm-hmm. George Miller was you know he was an interesting choice. Adam um, Brody was the Flash. And if people remember back in Binge, I interviewed a special effects artist who I worked with a number of times named Spencer Cook. And he had told mm-hmm. stories on that particular podcast about he had, was actually working on storyboards for that movie. They were all set to roll on that fucker. And then, boom, they shut it down. It was, it was a big shock. But also, the, they, they took the writer's strike as an excuse as well. Yeah. But, but I think they once they saw just how much money The Dark Knight made, that's when Warner Brothers said, Let, let's do the individual films first and then build to a, to a larger universe. And like I said, you know, they tried that with Green Lantern and failed spectacularly. So it made sense for them to do Superman and then lead directly into into this. But yeah, going into that theater, it was a very, I'll never forget driving to the theater to go see this because it was pouring rain. Like it looked like a Zack Snyder movie outside. <laughs> and the reviews were already out. Like this yeah. thing got panned before it even opened. And I, and I, I didn't read any reviews, but I saw the little like Rotten Tomatoes consensus, and I, I said to my friends who I saw this with, because it was a packed theater, as you would expect, I'm not looking for the greatest thing ever made, because I know the movie that I have in my head, I'm not going to see. I just hope this is not the train wreck that people are telling me it is, and that I sat there in the theater, and not to say my thoughts, but reading the room, I've been to funerals that were louder than that screen. <laughs> like, it was the, the dead of silence, and it... It wasn't that people, I don't think, nobody, like, hated it. Like, there was no booing, there was no nonsense like that. But there there was just people, I think there was a large part that just were both caught up that we are seeing stuff we had never seen before for the first time. All the choices in this movie are so fascinating that it's impossible to look away from. Yeah, I didn't go opening weekend. I think I went in the middle of the week of the first week it did open. I went to a matinee, and it was, I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and I had, it was probably about a quarter full. I had also, you know, working for Benz, you hear all these reviews and you know what people are saying about it. But I, you know, I went in with a complete open mind and I did the same with this viewing. I watched it and I'm like, I'm going in so open-minded. I want to come out liking this. Adam, what about you, sir? Did you go opening weekend? I went the opening preview night. So I think it was Thursday here. So I went that night. And I went back Saturday with my oldest child and went back on Sunday. I went three times opening three weekend. Times. Wow. Yep. Different formats, but yeah, sure did. And I do have to say one thing before we get into the actual movie that did concern me is that we already knew as the movie was coming out that there was going to be a director's cut. That set me off that this movie was meddled with to some degree. And little did I know that was going to be the calling card of, of Warner Brothers in D.C. for the next couple of movies. You're not kidding. Yeah. All right, boys. What do you say we dissect our 
third versus film in a month. <laughs> yeah. Although we, we were also kind of versus Catwoman in that movie. So <laughs> yeah. at least two of us were in our right mind. I mean, Superman's an alien and Batman's a predator. Uh, let me let me let me let me guarantee you guys that there are no Superman or Batman puns in this in this plot summary. No, and for the record, we all watched the extended cut because that is yes. Because I, 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 I think that that is the version that Snyder wants that considers canon, and I thought I, I think it's fair to do that because you're talking 30 minutes of a movie. If you remove that, it, it changes. It, it, it changes, it, it changes everything. There's a difference between a director's cut and an extended cut. Uh, this is the former. And we'll talk about the extended cut, quote-unquote, with Suicide Squad uh, in a couple weeks. Boy, I don't know if I were Snyder, I'd want any of these versions to be watched. But here we go. We're seeing a funeral and a kid being chased through a grass field, which is also intercut with, you guessed it, Bruce coming out of the theater with his parents while Thomas Wayne is shot. How many fucking times are we going to This is Maggie and Negan. What are you talking about? This is Walking Dead right here. Yeah. They're literally the Walking Dead in about 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> There is no way they didn't have a plan for casting these two. You do not cast these two actors in this movie unless you had some plans. And knowing that who they are, one of my biggest disappointments is that we're not going to see these two in Flashpoint. Because holy shit, just imagine Jeffrey Dean Morgan as a gun-toting Batman. Oh, interesting. Love to see it, but I, I, I have to be perfectly honest. When, when I saw them leaving that movie theater... I bit my finger and I, I mouthed motherfucker to myself. <laughs> I, I so said before the movie started, I said, if I have to watch them get shot, I'm going to be very upset. But I, I, do have, I, I have to say it, it is beautifully shot. Oh, um, yeah. oh God. Yeah. Zack Snyder, more so than almost any other filmmaker who has done a superhero movie, knows how to frame his shots to really evoke what a comic book looks like. I think that's his greatest strength as a as a director and especially as a as a storyteller. I think he is a visual artist. And the way this is depicted, I give him a lot of crap sometimes for his use of slow motion, but I think it's very effective here. And you need this scene for the most infamous scene in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it is a necessity from a, from a storytelling point of view. But I did feel this was... It was like when I watched Martin Sheen get shot in The Amazing Spider-Man. It's to the point where everybody knows it. Do we really have to keep shoving it down people's throats? Bruce falls in the pit while the criminal cuts the pearls off his mom's neck, and she dies, and Thomas utters, Martha. We'll come back to this. Bruce is surrounded by bats as we fade to the arrival of a helicopter, and we are seeing scenes from Man of Steel play out with Bruce Wayne avoiding rubble, and his colleague is stuck in a building about to fall as a result of the fight. So this is how we're bringing Batman in. Now, this brings up a question, and it's another infamous question from that time this movie was out. And you guys need to answer this for me. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. How close is Metropolis and Gotham? Uh, <laughs> in this movie, a little different. <laughs> it's across the bay in this movie. It, yeah, it's like Oakland and San Francisco, Adam. <laughs> they, they clearly use San Francisco, Oakland, or New York, New Jersey for the inspiration. I've never known a comic that plays them side by side, ever. Mm. Yeah, th this is a first. Typically, most will do like a New York-Philadelphia comparison for, for Metropolis and Gotham. Sometimes they'll do New York and Chicago. But to do it this close of proximity raises several questions for me once you get into the actual meat of the story and some of the motivations. Yeah. 
Nice little car chase here as the building falls and Bruce's colleague dies. Let's talk about our Batman here, Ben Affleck. We talked about our anticipation going into this film. As we mentioned, a huge uproar happened when this casting was announced. And we had Kevin Smith and Adam, pretty much the only two people that were defending this casting. <laughs> and a movie we are going to do eventually called Daredevil. That was going to be his one and only contribution to the superhero genre, and I think people would have been happy with that. But here he is, and I'm just going to go ahead and say right off, I have a lot of problems with this movie. But Affleck is not one of them. And he does as good a job as he can. I think his Batman is just what we needed in this role. I think his nuances as the character of Bruce are good. I think when he gets to the party scenes, he melds very well. I like Affleck a lot in this role. What about you boys? As the person who is skeptical, and I was one of those people who did not like the casting, I think Affleck is a tremendous director, and I have said that numerous times. But as an actor, when he directs himself included, I think he's the weakest part of his movies. But with that said, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt because he is a very different person than he was in 2003 when he made Daredevil. He's, he really evolved in, in a good way. And I think here, I think he's my favorite Batman-Bruce Wayne combination. And I, I couldn't believe I, I'm saying that because I wouldn't have believed you six years ago. But I think this opening scene endears you to him immediately. He's got the physicality. He's got the charm as Bruce Wayne. But I love how he portrays the cynical, broken-down He's doing this because he knows nothing else. And doing a, a truly angry bat without being yes. overly overly sullen. I think he, he captures this take on Batman, which is radically different from all, all the previous ones we've discussed. And we can argue how effective some of the, the choices are. But none of my problems with this movie are on the shoulders, uh, on those CrossFit shoulders of Ben Affleck, because he put in the work <laughs> that yeah. you will see later on. And I do have to say, I, I was watching this opening, and I thought it was very good, but there was a thought I had to make this scene even more powerful if Lucius Fox died in that building. But this isn't that continuity, though. No, it's not, but that would be very personal for Bruce any, in any continuity. That yeah. is an issue I have with this, is we see this guy going down, and we're hearing Bruce talk to him, but we don't know who he is. Bruce obviously does, but we don't, so how are we supposed to feel as bad for Batman as he feels about it? Yeah, I think it shows that he's... We've never had a Batman that gives two shit about Wayne Enterprises, really. That's true. And I think him, you know, I think him calling the office, calling somebody directly, heading there, I think it sets him up as, as somebody different than what we've had before. He's a different Bruce. To Matt's point, I think he's the only actor we've gotten that plays both sides of the character and does it so well and actually nails both sides. I think Keaton was amazing in the suit. I think Christian Bale was amazing as Bruce. I think this is the first time we've had an actor where you look at him and go, I believe this person is Bruce Wayne. I believe this person is Batman. I think a lot of that is the choice to give us an older Batman. Yeah. I think it was a really wise choice because by doing that, you decided to have somebody who could be so muscular and so fucked up in the head, you know, after decades of crime fighting, that he's willing to go head-to-head -head with a super-powered alien. But this scene, I can't believe that they found a way to, to repurpose the final battle of Man of Steel. Like you said, is it a reaction to people's reaction? I think without a doubt. But I think it works really well to set up the story they're going to tell. And I don't think we've really had something like this. You want to talk about taking it and one company copying the other. I don't know how fucking tired I am about hearing with that city at the end of uh, Age of Ultron. Because I think everything Marvel has done since then... <laughs> 
It's because of that goddamn city that they dropped on itself. But here it at least matters. You know, what happened in Metropolis matters going forward. And, and I think it's wise the way they decided to do it, including copying exact shots, but flipping it, showing the laser blast from outside of the building. It's very daft. It's, yeah, smart, smart effects, smart screenwriting. It's and, also, and God knows... It, I am not one to compliment David Goyer <laughs> no. or anything, um, so I'm not giving him that credit. I'll give it to Terrio, but I think it's wise the way they decided to connect the films this way. Is it? Because I, I look at this, and it, I see them implying a lot of 9-11-type imagery to oh, this. yeah. And I, I don't know if that's pandering or what. I'm not sure how I feel about it, honestly. Although I, what it does well, they do – a lot in Man of Steel they, when that well, when the no, they engine didn't. is doing it. They didn't do that in Man of Steel. They, they, they No, they did it from Superman's point of view, and nobody gave a shit about what happened to anybody in that movie, but we'll get to that next year. My point is I think they are implying that Batman is looking at this as a terrorist threat. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that works for this because a Batman has been doing this for 20 years. He sees something that he's never seen before, and he's utterly powerless to stop it. I think that is the – making that the catalyst for him – Going as far off the deep end as possible, I think, works really well. And I do like Batman actually saves a little girl, which we do yeah. not see Superman do anything of. No. In this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Batman, the better Superman. But he, it's the, why I like Affleck so much is he does a lot with his face. When he's yes. just looking up at the sky. Um, and I've never accused Affleck of being a great actor, but I think he fits this material like a glove. So Bruce, he looks up as he's saving a girl, as Matt mentioned, and he sees Superman and Zod going at it, and we have the seeds of our battle being planted, boys. We cut to 18 months later, and somewhere in the Caribbean, as this is in the Indian Ocean, as a ball of kryptonite is pulled from the water, <laughs> we then cut to, yeah. holy shit, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Now, Jimmy Olsen, Jimmy a member Olsen of the CIA. Which, that, okay, so in the theatrical cut, we don't even get the name drop Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen's CIA agent is such a deep cut comics reference that to me that was David Goyer just nerding out for a little bit because it, it happened in comics. It was such a little thing, but I really do not need this to be Jimmy Olsen fucking whatsoever. I had no idea that this was actually, this actually had an origin in the comics. Wow. Oh, yeah. They're in the midst of it's good. I'm not just no, no. I I know. I'm glad you pointed it out though, because I didn't know there was an actual origin for this. I had no idea this was Jimmy Olsen until I read the credits, because we sat in the theater in silence. I saw Jimmy Olsen's name in the credits. I'm like, I don't recall seeing Jimmy Olsen ever at the Daily Planet, and I was just baffled that this this was what they did. But I'm not going to be one of those people who who threw my fist up in the air and said, "Fuck you, Zack Snyder, for killing Jimmy Olsen." No. to me, that's not – that's problems with this movie. I don't classify that as one of them. <laughs> Absolutely. They're taken to the head of the terrorist organization because Lane is out for an interview, and he's talking to her while the film is getting smashed. Jimmy is shot. Now, I remember in the theatrical cut, Jimmy was shot off screen. We see it actually happen in this one. <laughs> yeah, because this is an R-rated cut, so they can yeah. they, they can do that. But also, this is immediately where you can see the cuts – no pun intended, because yes. the, the, in the theatrical cut, th- this scene doesn't really have much in the way of build-up or purpose. It's just there for Clark to save Lois Lane. In this cut, it is the impetus for Lex Luthor's plan. It's made more explicitly clear what he's doing, but also there's more illustrating of the plot 
nobody stays neutral. It, it's a little bit more forced, but I, I do like that this scene has more time to breathe and doesn't feel as as truncated as it does in the regular cut. Adam, how'd you feel about Jimmy Olsen getting shot and the whole terrorist threat going on here in this cut as opposed to the theatrical cut? As Matt said, I appreciate that it fleshes it out a little more. However, on a negative, I don't know where this fits in a Superman storytelling device. It feels awkward that way. It feels like this is a different movie that Zack Snyder's decided to tell right here. I get, I mean, as much as we don't even get KG Beast, other than a little tattoo on the side of his neck, because that's who that character is, the one that we keep seeing over and over. You know, if you're going to have Superman making, you know, having collateral damage, things like that that happen, that was the last movie. If you're going to continue to have mistake-making Superman or the Superman that's not the man of tomorrow, then all you're doing is continuing the issues that you had last time, and it doesn't show any growth of soups. And I have an issue with that part of it. I do like Amy Adams quite a bit. You know, I think she comes to play. I never got the complaints of people like, oh, they didn't give her enough to do. You know what? It's fucking Lois Lane. Lois has her own comic that lasts about four issues because nobody cares. Lois, lover or hater, you know, and this goes all the way back to Donner in 78. She is a part of going along with Superman. She's not the title character. The extended edition does set it up more, but it's also just, it's unnecessary, really. It's a Rube Goldberg to find out information later, and they really could have found a better way to do so. We're seeing a raid get developed on the compound. And just as things look bad for Lois, here comes Superman to save the day because screw everybody else. Once Lois is in trouble, here he is. In the extended cut, finding this other squad who's going to go rest, you know, save the day and they still fire a rocket from this drone, that's not in the shortened cut, the theatrical cut. So seeing Superman, like, stop the rocket and then bust right through the Predator drone, pretty cool fucking shot, I gotta say. Seeing Superman zoom across the desert, it looks pretty awesome. We cut to a trial with Holly Hunter as a senator and cops being called to where Batman is as there are hostages being held. And, you know, we're going to talk about this when we talk about Matt Reeves' version. Snyder is also setting this, really setting this up to be a horror film, isn't he? I mean, the way Batman is so vengeful in this and he's branding these guys, this is straight out of horror films. Yeah, well, this is a take that we have not really seen since no. Batman Begins, where Batman actually inspires fear. I do think it's a little absurd that he's been Batman for 20 years and cops have yet never seen him. I find that to be a little absurd, but him just perched in that corner and the way he moves with the grappling hook, this feels the most authentic to Batman's physicality with how it's depicted in the comics. As it pertains to the Holly Hunter scene that you talked about, this is where I, I don't understand Warner Brothers' logic. The person that's doing the testimony... All of her motives are cut that she was paid off by Lex Luthor. So she just comes off as the superfluous character in the theatrical cut. I don't understand why they're cutting so many corners and cutting vital pieces of storytelling to actually make this story coherent. Because as of now, if you watch the theatrical cut, we've had like 10 scene changes in the first 15 minutes. And they're all different time periods. They're focusing on different characters. This is a huge improvement, but I'm going to say this a lot. I don't understand what Warner Brothers was thinking. I think they should have cut Holly Hunter's character out. I don't see any reason why she is even here, even in this ultimate cut that we get. You know, I like Holly Hunter in a lot of things. Incredibles. Maybe we'll get to it eventually. But I I do not like her in this movie. I don't like her character in this movie. I just don't know why you get somebody like Holly Hunter for this kind of role. She's a damn good actress. And what she does, she does well. But 
you got too many different reasons that you're trying to create to get these guys together between Lex, between the military that's going on, between the government. It's just trim it down. Yeah. Take another pass. You always, always have 20 to 30 percent to cut out. Cut out a little more. Streamline it. You know, you didn't need a two and a half hour movie. You sure as fuck didn't need a three hour. Isn't this the three hour movie greatly improves the film? You know what? Take some of what you cut out. Put that in and cut the shit out of what you did leave in. Mm -hmm. And you still have a better movie that's going to go on. Because what they decided to leave as opposed to what they cut out, I think that's the most confusing part. I'd love to know who got final cut and who made the fucking decisions on this because, damn. Guys are hung and Batman comes down from just hanging around. And the cops see that Batman branded them. Now, does he do this at all on the comic or no? I've never known him to brand somebody or leave them with a mark, especially knowing that they would get street vigilante or jail justice later. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's an invention, to my knowledge, exclusively to this movie. Cosmetically, though, I love this bat suit so much. I like the suit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We yeah. finally got one that is not armored to shit. It's, yeah. a, fab- it's a fabric that looks like he, uh, that looks militaristic. It looks like he can withstand the punishment of being Batman and still move. They got the short ears from Dark Knight Returns, the symbol itself. So cosmetically, I love everything that you do with Batman, battering included, uh, when you see it imprinted in the wall. I'm not crazy about the branding thing. I find that whole subplot to be, I, I don't want to say it's a, it's a betrayal of Batman, but the idea that he would knowingly send criminals to their death is something that I that I wrestle with whether or not I actually like it. Because there's a difference between inadvertent murder which we'll talk about for parts of this movie, which just happened being Batman. People will die based on your moves. And murder with intent. I think there is a stark difference. Aren't they kind of treating that in this movie like this is his response to the threat that Superman poses? No, because I don't view this as something that has to do with Superman. Okay. This is just a way for them to illustrate that this Batman has lost his mind. He's lost his mind, okay. So Lois is drinking wine and hitting the bath before Clark comes home and just walks into the bathroom. And Lois says that there are things being said about what happened and Superman just doesn't want to hear it. Now, i got to say, the extended cut so much better because we get like an extra five minutes of Amy Adams in the bathtub. So. <laughs> drinking wine alone in her apartment. If you're a fan of yes. Lois, you are going to love this movie. But this, this sets up a problem. Clark's first response is, I don't care what they're saying. This yeah. is a Superman. Yeah. I, I don't want to beat this too much. But this is a Superman who, even in this movie, which is a vast improvement, still feels too much like all I care about is Lois Lane. And if anything happens to her, I will become the fascist dictator that Batman thinks I am capable of becoming. We cut to Alfred, being played by Jeremy Irons. And this was kind of an inspired Fantastic. casting for me. Sorry. I've always admired Sorry. Irons as an actor. He could go from a period piece to playing a diehard villain in the blink of an eye. He would do these little films and then go up to do a blockbuster, and it was always fun seeing him do that kind of stuff. But here he's taking over for Michael Caine, playing Alfred. And I don't know, man. I don't like this Alfred. I mentioned in the very first podcast that Batman, it was either Batman 66 or Batman 89, where I said that we're going to get two Alfreds that I don't like. This is one I really don't like Irons as Alfred. I don't know if it's just because Batman's so much older now and he doesn't need to be groomed as much as we, we saw in the earlier films, but he just comes off as kind of a nuisance for me. I don't like Alfred in this movie. So I'm the antithesis. I think he's the best Alfred that, oh, that wow. we've had on screen because we finally got the right balance of being the stern father figure and his true confidant. I thought Go and Kane, much like Adam was talking about with 
the Batman Bruce Wayne actors were really strong at one, not always the best at the other after a certain point. I like that because he's an older Batman and because he's clearly lost his, his way and his vision, Alfred is more than willing to stand up to him without coming across as coming from a place of wrong. It still comes from a paternal place of, I know you're a good person, and I'm still helping you because that's what we set out to do, but there are lines that I am not comfortable with crossing. And we and this Alfred, I like how he's a lot more hands-on with the technology and stuff. As great as Jeremy Irons is, when they were talking about Timothy Dalton playing this role, he was the first choice. I really wish he took it. It's not that nobody else could do it. When I think of this kind of Alfred, like the Earth One style, Timothy Dalton, I think, would play that excellently. Much like Matt said, this is my favorite Alfred. Not just actor-wise, and I love Michael Caine. We'll discuss that at some point, or we'll filter it in. But not just the way he plays it, but the relationship. I believe these two. I get that paternal figure, but I get that he's also... He's a part of this mission with Bruce, and I think... It's believable, and that's why he's willing to call him on it later. It's just like, it wasn't this way. Things have changed. You know, and he's telling him, you've changed because of this. And I believe it with these two. I love Irons. I think it's a great casting, and I think he is phenomenal in it. See, I don't see paternal in him. It seems more like a, more like a confidant than a paternal person in his life to me. But, again, I stopped reading the comics when Batman started getting older, so I don't know exactly how close this is, how this adheres to it. But as somebody watching this movie, I, I didn't really warm up to him at all. So Alfred's talking to Bruce about the previous night as Batman's going after a weapons and human trafficker. Alfred wants him to concentrate on something else. And then we're seeing footage of Superman's perceived rampage on the city of Metropolis, and Bruce gets to work on it. We cut to Lex Luthor playing a charity basketball game. But they're seeing a man from Krypton who was recovered as well as a kryptonite rock, all of which is from the Indian Ocean. So this is how we're getting the plot going. We got Lex Luthor kind of trying to mend these guys together. Lex says that they should gorge one up off what they have. And then we cut to Clark who was making shirtless eggs, which must have been one of Matt's favorite scenes. (laughs) And then we're seeing a wheelchair-bound vet who is very disenchanted with what Superman has done. He climbs on the statue and starts spray painting. And this is Scoot McNary, who is a guy who I've always liked. He was married to another person I interviewed, uh, Whitney Abel. He was very, very good in this. I I liked him in the small role that he had here. Everybody before this movie came out assumed he was going to be the Flash. Yeah, really? Because he wore the reason was the green stockings that removed the yep. legs. There was set photos oh. that had him with the green with, with the green socks from knees down. So like, and it was leaked out that his name was Wally Wally West Flash. Oh my God! Wow. Yep. God, I wish he was the Flash. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think Warner Brothers does too. <laughs> yeah. <it's a> <laughs> Meanwhile. Perry White and Clark see the charges of vandalism as he spray-painted symbols on the statue. What exactly are these symbols that he's put on here? He just wrote false god. That's what he did? Okay. Which is also a problem, I don't think, based on what's depicted in Man of Steel, that Metropolis would build a statue to Superman as a savior. This instantly. That's what I thought, yeah. Because this movie presents it, people's takes on Superman, it seems very 50-50. But at the same time... This is a Superman who brought death and destruction to Metropolis, but we're going to evoke a statue to him just because he stopped the quote-unquote bad guy. Clark starts doing some detecting of his own, and he's finding out that it is somebody with a bat symbol that is causing all the fear. Lois finds a bullet, and it causes a tiff between herself and Clark. Lex starts sweet-talking the senator, who says that she's blocking any more imports to him, 
And then we cut to the images of Bruce with flowers as he once again visits his parents' grave. Blood drips from the grave, and ladies and gentlemen, DC has officially gone Marvel with this tease for their upcoming Justice League film. What, what is this, guys? Stupid, stupid man bat jump scare? It's man bat. Yeah, is that what that is? That is I, man bat, yep. God's it's got to be. Or to uh, timestamp this, that's Jared Leto is Morbius. Yeah, basically. <laughs> So, I can't believe we've talked about two scenes and have not talked about Lex Luthor. I was going to save that for next year, but if you want to talk about him, go ahead. Well, I just feel like we have to because he's the villain of this movie. All right, go. And he was the thing that probably got the most panning. I think Jesse Eisenberg is great in this movie, legitimately, because I like that this Lex Luthor is literally a walking contradiction to what fan expectations are. And it's also important, he's Lex Luthor, Alexander Luthor Jr. So, for all we know the Lex Luthor that people think of exists in this universe. Much like Bruce and much like Clark, this is a character who is trying to live up to his father's expectations. He is clearly defined by how those affect him. And and a child that is raised in a sheltered environment talks about how his father is like fist. So clearly there was probably some physical abuse. This is a kid who lives his whole life in an industrial bubble. Everything he's told what to read, he's told what to say which makes some of the scenes later on where he talks about gods and why he's resentful for that is because he lived under someone who viewed himself as a, as a, as a patron saint and a deity. I think there's a lot more to this character that people were just dismissing because it wasn't the Lex Luthor that people associate with. Which, to be perfectly frank, Lex Luthor did not start out as the evil businessman in the comics. It was a long time before he was reinvented. And to me, this is just another take on the, on the character. I do agree that there's a couple things. I like that it is Junior, because I was hoping by the end of it, maybe Lex would not survive this Lex, and we would see President Luthor really wanting to rain down hell on Superman, because I think it'd be a nice way to get that arch rivalry. Uh, I think Jesse Eisenberg is an amazing casting choice. I think it's the right casting choice, and I hate his fucking performance from the time he goes on screen to the time he goes away. I like the idea. I hate his mannerisms. I still can't fucking eat Jolly Ranchers six years later. <laughs> I love the casting, and I hate what he does with the role. To hear the tiebreaker, tune in next year. Bruce is still on the Russian trafficker's trail, but Alfred sends him to Lex Luthor's house, and we are seeing Wayne look at the bat suit and a piece of Joker memorabilia as he heads out to the party. Now, this is actually Robin's suit, right, that he's looking at? Yes, he is canonically dead in this timeline. So they just kind of just dropped that out of, uh, like, out yep. of nowhere? It's, he's dead. He's an older Batman, and I think they're finding a way to explain why and probably when he went off the deep end and started being this much more violent and radicalized. That's the hint that I got was when Joker killed Robin, it was fucking all bets are off. Unfortunately, the movie doesn't really convey that. Nah. That, that is the true catalyst for him snapping. Yeah, that was my next point. Which I, yeah. which I, I do think that's a problem. I'm not saying I needed a flashback, but I, I wanted a specific declaration as to why Batman's worldview has changed so much. And I think it would be much more yeah, We could have got that from Alfred. Yeah, all it takes is a line. Because, look, this movie's chock full of dream sequences, so why not have yeah. a, a, him talking to Robin's ghost or what have you? My problem with how this is done is that it's good that Batman's already lost his mind and is dead set on murdering Superman. But think about how fascinating it would be that Batman has gone 20 years and he has yet to break his no-kill rule. But what happens to Metropolis is the thing that makes him say, I am finally willing to take a life to preserve the entire world. Clark and Bruce meet, and Bruce takes a liking to a woman who looks suspiciously like Gal Gadot. Now, did 
<laughs> Did Lex put this party together just to get these two together? It's inferred. It's not specifically said, but... That's what I got out of it. You have to realize, because Clark has super hearing, he hears Alfred talking to Bruce. That's mm-hmm. how he puts together that Bruce Wayne is Batman. I'm not saying people are dumb for not for needing to have these things explained, but there's certain things that they cut corners on, and there's certain things that are over-explained. There is such a thing as a happy medium, but I do find just the idea that Metropolis is directly across from Gotham, and this is the first time that Superman had, or anyone in Metropolis has heard of Batman. Or that they don't recognize Bruce Wayne. Like, that always bugs the shit out of me when you have a billionaire of this stature a few miles away showing up and everybody's like, who's that? Is Clark Kent not the worst fucking reporter in the world then? That he has no idea that that's Bruce Wayne? Yes. I mean, I like that the Ultimate Cut gives him some investigating to do because we never ever get investigative Clark Kent, so I liked that, but wow, they make him stupid. I don't think Zack Snyder likes Superman. (laughs) Not at all. Well, I also get the sense he wanted to make a Batman movie first. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 you gotta have Superman in it too, Uh, because all the best scenes in this movie involve Ben Affleck. Yep. I can't think of, like, if you ask me, like, what are the, the top three scenes in this movie, if any of them exclusively have Superman or Lois Lane, I would tell you no. Bruce is being told to go down the stairs. He puts on a, what is this, a tracker? It's a, like a clone. It's a clones whatever's inside that computer. Okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's it's stealing data. Yeah, it's what he used on that the KGB's phone when they're at that Russian fight club for no reason. Got, oh yeah. yeah. But I do like the um, Alfred line about oh go upstairs and some young lady will make you honest. And he's like yeah <laughs> in your dreams because this is an Alfred who's like when are you going to move on with your life and find somebody? You're fucking 50 years old. I'm waiting to inherit all this shit when you inadvertently get yourself killed. This whole movie, he is trying to get Bruce laid. I got in my room Yeah, and they steal a line from The Dark Knight Returns where he's like, I hope the next generation doesn't inherit an empty wine cellar. And he's like, not that there's going to be a next generation. There will be a next generation. As Matt said, Alfred tells Bruce to head upstairs and socialize a little bit. But Clark finds Bruce, and I am liking this interaction between the two until Lex comes and interrupts. I could have done without the freaks dressed like clowns line because yeah. we know the Joker exists. You literally just had a Robin suit that the Joker spray painted. Yep. Uh, unless he was saying that calling Clark Kent a clown because I get the inference that Bruce knows Clark Kent as Superman. I get that it, too. It feels like it here. It feels like they both know each other as the other person, honestly. Yeah. Well, Clark at least has yeah. an excuse. He has superpowers. Bruce Wayne, like, until he finds out, you know, who his mother is, and he puts the pieces together, unless he knows only one Martha exists in this universe outside of his, there's never that moment where he realizes that Superman and Clark Kent are the same person. So the fact that Lex Luthor knows it makes Bruce Wayne look even dumber by comparison. Exactly. Alfred says that the transfer is complete, and then Bruce heads out. He starts following Godot upstairs, and she looks at him before entering a car and driving away. Now, this was our first look at Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, wasn't it? Yep. Yep, outside of the trailers, which spoil yeah. her appearance, which was, yep. I think, an enormous mistake. Mm-hmm. Agreed. We cut to images of Superman saving people with thoughts of what is heroism being ta- being questioned by talking heads on TV. Snyder goes to this a lot. He cuts to TVs and, you know, a lot of the C-SPAN and CNN and Fox News and all these people. Hell, he even gives fucking Nancy Grace a goddamn paycheck, which fuck him for that. Um, <laughs> You're kidding. But you're seeing all these fuckers on, like, this is this is his way of telling a story, which I guess is a good way to tell a worldview. I like the idea. When you mentioned the statue, 
You know, I would have loved to yeah. see two groups in Metropolis that you have people maybe fundraising for the statue to Superman and then getting attacked by people who are anti-alien. It's just not well done. I appreciate that it's there, especially today. You know, I'm sorry, yeah. 78 Superman doesn't, doesn't exist. So a Superman today, this is exactly what it would be. Whichever side decided to like him first the other quote-unquote side would fucking hate him just because. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't have a middle ground. Everything is a binary yes or no, and I think we're seeing that. I do like that it's tied in with, and this is the only really heroism that Superman gets, unfortunately, but it's a montage of him doing great things around the world. You know, I would have liked to see a little more of that, or I would have liked to yes. see, this is, the time, this is the time to brighten up your color scheme a little bit mm -hmm. and maybe give him some light with him doing these activities, and I think Superman deserves that. But Smallville I, did this shit much fucking better than this shit, honestly. Uh, <laughs> haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 I do think that having the discussion is what this movie is, so I get that part of it. Yeah, especially in the era we live in now, it would be radicalized on every news station. Everybody yeah. would have a talking point. Yep. Everybody would have a specific stance. And I think the binary reaction is a great microcosm for the critical reception to this movie. It was, you either think Zack Snyder is a messiah, or you think this is the worst movie ever made and he should be left in the desert to starve. Yep. <laughs> Still, still, like yeah. this movie is still debated. Like absolutely, yeah. But I think that's the sign of much like this movie. If you actually sit, which Batman and Superman don't do, if you would just sit down and talk to each other and understand each other, maybe you could have a more compelling discussion. For a movie called Batman v Superman, they don't have much discourse before they actually fight. All of Batman's setup for disliking Superman is well established. Yes, but Clark Kent is the biggest hypocrite for blaming Batman for taking the law into his own hands. Considering mm -hmm. the last movie ended with him destroying a $12 billion mm -hmm. saying, you can't spy on me, government. See, I like he's saving people here. Like, he looks genuinely uncomfortable when all those people are trying to worship him and touch him. Because he's still trying to figure out, like, I know I should do this to honor my father, but am I ultimately happy? And I think the answer is no, because he doesn't smile once in this goddamn movie. I'm so pissed because Henry Cavill's a charming guy. And this is what happens when you have people who don't like certain characters. Yeah, and, I don't think Gore likes Superman either, to be perfectly honest. No, and you know, and, and Jen knows him as the guy from The Witcher. He looked at this as like, oh, The Witcher's in this. I'm like, well, I kind of knew him. God, he's Superman great in that. Before he was in The Witcher. Yeah, that's how she knows him. I, I think he's good outside of this, but we'll, we'll get to that next year. Clark calls his mom to say hi and that he wishes everything were simple. I love Diane Lane. I'm just going to say I love Diane Lane in this, and I think she's a great kid. Yeah. I think, just, I think this is also why Josh Brolin said no. Let's not forget their Oh, yeah. Oh, that's uh, right. She's but, Judge Hershey. I keep waiting for her to come back in a new uh, in a new Judge Dredd. They cut this scene from the theatrical version. Yeah. Because this is the one moment where Superman actually feel like Clark feels like a person. Just him calling his mom in the dead of night just to say hi. Cause he yeah, because think about it. His father's dead, and he moved away from his mother as soon as he comes into his own. Well, both of his fathers are dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He could still be looked at as a teenager with these powers. You want to know how to humanize Superman? It's right there. You just able to do it. Clark looks at articles about the branding that Batman does, and the guy who spray-painted the statue, he's being bailed out by Lex, who tells him he just wants to help him stand for something. Uh, Clark, uh -huh. Clark and Perry, they get into it about this Gotham Bat thing, as Perry is begging him to stop pursuing it. And then Diane Prince is shown a blade as Bruce approaches her and says that it's a fake. 
He asks who she is, and she says she's in pursuit of a photograph that's in Luther's possession. She says she didn't steal his hard drive. She borrowed it. This edition of Wonder Woman, and she does give a moment later that we'll talk about. The only time that the theater I was in actually responded to this fucking movie. Don't they kind of Black Widow her in uh, Iron Man 2? I kind of get that feeling from this. She's hardly in this at all. I don't think so. I think she's set up to be a mystery. Well, we know who she is. Yeah. But... I don't know. I mean, I think she's introduced enough. I like that when we see her, it's this antiquities, because I always need Diana Prince to be around ancient relics. It just fits for me. But I also think Gal Gadot is a great choice for Wonder Woman, and I know not everybody agrees with that. I know you do, but I think she's great. Nope. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't see the Black Widow comparison, because I think that she was so overtly sexualized without a good reason for it. And here... Gal Gadot looks sexy as hell, but you don't have an upskirt down the blouse shot like they did to Scarlett Johansson. Alexander D'Addario, or get the fuck out. Go ahead. Well, let me, let me, no, we'll have that discussion when we talk about Wonder Woman. You said you like her when she's surrounded by antiquities. I do too, because she can open up the Ark of the Covenant and learn how to act. <laughs> um, because Ben Affleck is carrying her to the finish line in every yes. single one of their scenes. Yeah, she's a terrible actress, and that that's a big problem I have when we get to her movie is I love that movie despite her. That's the weird thing. That's how I remember it. Now, I haven't seen it in years, but it was one of my favorites of 2017 when it was first out. But we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of years, actually. We cut to Batman having another nightmare as he's heading to another compound and getting a piece of the kryptonite rock before getting double-crossed. He fights through it, and I have to say, I actually dug this scene a lot, especially when he gets to Superman approaching him, saying that she was my world and you took her from me. All of this is actually pretty good up until the Flash shows up and says, he's always been right about him. All right. So, okay, Garrett, do you know or have you ever read Injustice, either played the video game or read the comic? Nope. Okay, Matt, have you? Yeah, I mentioned it in the opening of the show. (laughs) Okay, that's what I thought. So, Garrett, this really, okay, in Injustice, which it was a video game partially written by Jimmy Palmiotti, then the huge comic series that spun out of that, written by the great Tom Taylor, where the Joker basically makes Superman see things. He thinks he's fighting Doomsday and takes Doomsday up to space to kill him. What happens is he's actually, he has taken Lois up and Lois dies. And at the same time, Joker sets off a nuclear bomb in Metropolis. So he has lost his home and Lois is dead. And Lois was pregnant. So Batman captures the Joker once again. Won't turn him over because Superman's just lost his fucking mind. And Superman literally punches through Joker's chest, rips out his heart, and kills Joker right in front of Batman. And at that point, Superman decides, you know what, you've let this go on because you don't have the balls to do what I'm going to start doing. And these soldiers who have that Superman logo on their shoulder, straight from the comic, straight from the game, and even what we see at the end of Zack Snyder's Justice League that we're going to discuss later, that scene there and this scene is taken right out of that. Now, if you don't know that, it's just a cool-ass scene with a badass-looking Batman. Yeah. I love this nightmare Batman look. So my problem is that this scene works much better if you get the sense that they're foreshadowing Darkseid and Superman being under Darkseid's control. Yeah. The problem is that it seems not entirely conveyed because he talks about how the only thing he talks about is Lois Lane. He doesn't talk about being the herald of Darkseid. He doesn't talk about he's not just a monosyllabic henchman. It still comes off as because Lois is dead, I am taking everything into my own hands and I am my own master. It doesn't 
have the power that it should because it's not conveying what it should. It insists, this, you know, this is this movie a lot. This movie insists that you have a lot of prior knowledge if you want to get some of what it's telling you. That's my problem. Like, you would have no idea to know that's a boom tube. Yep. Or to see the Omega symbol or any of that. Like, you have no idea what it means unless, unless you know. Because the movie's not going to tell you. Yeah. And also, if you're okay with Batman shooting people with machine guns. Yep. Which if they, all, both if of they you guys complained kept, about in Batman Returns. If they only kept it in this sequence, I would be okay with it because it's a dream nightmare sequence. Yeah. I buy it because it's Batman. That's kind of a different scenario. But, but yeah, okay, as far as the Flash showing up, I was confused whether or not it was actually the Flash on first viewing. Okay, why? What was that? Because I didn't know that was Ezra Miller. And he says, oh, I'm too early. I'm like, if it wasn't a dream sequence, this would have actually been smarter than it is because of how the Flash can run faster than the speed of light. But because it's depicted as a dream within a dream, it's entirely nonsensical. It's just, hey, here's a character that you you may or may not know. Because some people were like, wait, is that Robin? Yeah, there's nothing that screams the Flash, because that's a very different... That armored suit is very different looking than anything people would have assumed. And he said, Lois is the key, where I was like, God fucking damn it, can we... <laughs> like, super, there is more to Superman than Lois Lane. That's what I fucking hate about how it's portrayed in this movie. We cut to Clark seeing more of Batman's branding. Bruce pleads his case to Alfred as he says he wants The Rock to help bring the war to Superman as Superman is to blame for bringing the war to them. Good stuff with Affleck kind of expressing his need to go after Superman here. Again, Matt, you nailed it on the head for me, dude. All this stuff of the buildup is actually pretty good. I have no problems with the first hour or so of this movie where they're building up exactly what Batman's vendetta against him is. And this is why I like Alfred so much, where Alfred's like, no, he's not our enemy. And Batman's got a good response where he's like, look, we've been doing this for 20 years. Like, think about how many good people are left. And I thought that implication was that Gordon was dead as well. Yeah. And yeah, that, because because we don't even see him. That was the other thing. I, I mean, we've seen, we've gone through all these movies, and there's a, Gordon at least appears in most of them. Yeah. If not all of them, we don't see him here. Yeah, because I thought the implication was that Bruce and Alfred are entirely on their own. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Meanwhile, Clark tries to see what happened to Santos. He finds his wife, who's upset at the entire system, as Perry is having a hard time finding him. Guess he clicks his heels three times, and it's back to Kansas, which is a line that he says, boy, oh, boy. That line's okay, but I like his reaction before. He was like, where did he go? Batman heads down to steal the rock. As he takes out a few cars, an explosion happens, and we get our first encounter between these two characters. And before I get to the encounter, I have to ask, this is the first time we're getting to look at this Batmobile. We've critiqued every one of these Batmobiles. What, what do we think of this Batmobile? I love this car. I like the look that very first time. Because the, the first shot we got that was released, I think the first shot of this movie was Ben Affleck in the suit standing next to this car. Or I, think the, I think the very first shot was the back of the car. But I like the way it looks. I have a big, big, big fucking problem with this scene being that he's firing machine guns nonstop at all these cars. Like, my Batman will not shoot you. He may shoot around you. Look at in Batman 89. But when he is shooting at you, I got a big fucking problem with it. So that machine gun in the front of the car, hate it. I'm never going to get over that. But I like the look of it. I like the length, the suspension, the way that it, yeah, I dig this one a lot. I like how it's slick without being overly bulky like the Tumblr. Because the base of it, it does look aesthetically pretty similar. Um, it's just yeah. a, little, a little bit slicker. I'm with Adam. I hate Batman installing guns on his car because he's so overly reckless in the scene where he grabbles a car, hooks, <laughs> hooks, it to, hooks it to another car, and then flips it over on top of another car. 
he kills everybody in this scene. He kills like six people. <laughs> yes. And this is what I'm talking about with the difference between indirect versus murder with intent. He is clearly doing this thing. I am perfectly okay with killing every single person here as long as I get what I want. He jumps the Batmobile into the back of the truck and like lands right fucking on top of somebody. <laughs> Because the movie, the movie knows that Batman has lost his mind, but it's always confused as to what extent. Superman tells Batman to not come out next time that his light is in the sky. Right before, Batman asks if he bleeds and then concludes by saying, you will. Let me talk for a sec. This was the perfect instant for these two to actually have a conversation. And instead, they act like pubescent 13-year-olds. Whereas you better stop what you're doing or I'm going to kick your ass. There's no philosophical conversations. There's no Clark trying to talk him down saying, look, you may not like me. I'm trying to do the right thing. And this is where Batman can say, like, hey, you have put me in a very dangerous position. And, like, I can't trust you. And nothing you have done up to this point has led me to believe that I can trust you. So you need to get out of my way or I will just flat out murder. Because see what you want. I, I don't want to compare this to Marvel too much. I don't like Captain America Civil War that much. But it realizes that in order for that big battle to mean something, Tony and Steve actually have legitimate conversations up to a point about the inherent problems of government oversight until it becomes Cap just wants to fuck Bucky in secret and won't tell anybody. That becomes his sole motivation. (laughs) Well, to play devil's advocate, I'm with you to an extent because there is a way of saying, look, like you destroyed a building and killed my colleague. And then... Superman can look at him and say, yeah, but you're branding people. There's no real extent of them telling each other why they're mad at the other. And you're right. They are acting like you best and boys. Yeah, and they're both wrong. I like that neither of them is 100% in the right because this is a very, the very, it's a world that's very black and white because that's all Zack Snyder knows how to use for his color palette <laughs> to an extent. Because like even Superman's costume, it's all muted blue. It's not doing a good job of setting up the actual fight, in my opinion. The other thing about this scene, too, that makes me laugh is you guys mentioned the cars that Batman topples over. There's a lot of times in this movie where they make it a point to say, and again, this goes back to the reactionary nature of what went on in the last film. They make it a point to say, look, there's nobody around here. (laughs) It's uninhabited. That is the Age of Ultron version of Tony going, quick scan. Okay, it's empty. Let me destroy this building. I do think you could set it off the same way, but have, even if it's a line either way, you know, you're sending people to their death, knock it off. Batman just doing the, you know, you leave death and destruction every, with everything you do, everywhere you go. Like, they could both find a way to be like, you're at fault, you're at fault, fuck off, fuck off, and go their separate ways. Like, you could have just two lines each, and it would give a little more something there. Luther sees his creation realized, as Lois tells the secretary that she is kept awake by what she saw, and she swears that Superman is not a murderer. We cut to the senator, begging Superman to tell his side of the story of what happened. Clark's mom says he is not a killer or a threat. We start hearing that the desert was a setup as the Senate hearing is beginning. They wanted this in-depth, like, mystery about this desert. Mm-hmm. And it, they, it is just so unfulfilling in the way that they wrote it to try to, between um, General Stanwick and the bullet and... Ah, what's her name from frickin' Hunger Games that shows up to do a little, like... Jenna Malone, who everybody thought was Barbara Gordon. Jenna Malone, who should have been Barbara Gordon, and no, she gets an entirely cut from the theatrical run of the movie anyway. It's so unfulfilling when there's an idea, and they just, they didn't know what to do with it. And also, we know Lex is behind it, so there's no surprise part of the audience. Yeah, this is some of that shit that should have been cut out. 
honestly, or written better. I mean, this is the kind of stuff when I heard Terrio was showing up, and I'm like, oh, this is the guy who wrote Argo. You know, I think he could do good things with this. This is the kind of stuff he was supposed to be closing up, and and they're leaving I'm, it wide I'm, open again. I'm scared to know what this looked like before Terrio actually at least yeah. got his hands on it. Oh, God. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, they say, I'm sorry, David S. Goyer can't write a fucking movie. Well, he needs to be reined in. The reason why he hooked his trailer to Nolan for so long was because for those three movies was because Nolan reined him in. He can write a story. He cannot yeah. write a script or dialogue. He can come up with a story. I think he's very good that way. Do not let him write the actual script. And he also comes up with little winks and nods to people like you guys who love these comics so much and are, you guys are seeing things that I guarantee were his idea. Yeah, for that, like somebody like him, somebody like Jeff Johns is great. And David Goyer at least has admitted, yeah, I can't write for shit. Like he said he's awful at writing dialogue, which, yeah, no shit, Velma. He <laughs> said that after three Blade films back 25 hey, I love years first, ago. I love the first Blade. All right, we'll get to it. Yep. Lex shows up to tell his side of the story. A Superman also shows up. Who's this African lady who's pushed in front of the train? Who is this gal? This is the woman who is speaking at the first hearing that Lex paid off to make it sound like like Superman killed all those people, which is the omission from the theatrical cut, because there's the whole thing where they burned the bodies. They look like Superman's heat vision, but they still have bullet holes in them. <laughs> like, Superman doesn't shoot people, at least not that we're aware of. It's putting a hat on a hat where it's like, all right, I appreciate the effort, but you guys got to think just a little bit harder about how this should all come together. And yeah. Lex pushing her in front of the train is just because she grew a conscience and told Holly Hunter. I mean, at least in the theatrical cut, all it is is Superman shows up to save Lois, but because of him showing up at all, they all got killed. And so he's responsible for collateral damage in the desert. Thinning that out was smart. And yeah. Superman's not here to save this woman, is he? No, no she doesn't, she doesn't scream like Lois. Yeah. <laughs> Superman walks up to the stand, and as the senator finds a jar of Granny's peach tea, a.k.a. piss on her bench, the entire place goes up in a massive explosion, and Wayne gets a newspaper that says, you let them die. Well, it's not a newspaper. Isn't it the, the, the bounced checks that Lex Luthor wrote on? Yeah, he sent back all the checks, oh, from, checks. The, okay. from, from the Wayne Memorial Fund for everybody that died. So I don't like that he left Mercy to die, Yeah, which is Lex Luthor's bodyguard. I also don't understand how Lex knows that Superman cannot see through lead. The script also doesn't let Superman actually make any kind of statement. They just go straight to the bombing. Like, he's given no opportunity to plead his case, and it just makes Superman feel like an afterthought and a, a thinly written vessel. If that explosion would have happened in the middle of a sentence of him trying to plead yeah. his case, it, it would have been powerful. It, as it is, I don't like that they're just... Uh, you know, we're focusing more on Granny's peach tea. You know, the little five, seven seconds of Superman looking dour with all the fire. I get what they're trying to do, but I don't know why that moment bugs me so much. I, of him just shaking his head. Oh, good golly. Well, well you know why? Because you're not feeling anything. That's why. Like, you're not feeling anything for what Superman's feeling here. He's not given any opportunity to plead his case. And he makes himself look even more guilty by going on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I do like in the extended cut that we get to see him, you know, with a few first responders outside and bringing people out. There's not enough of it, you know, and I wish you could even get some of the, you caused this, go away so we can actually do something. You know, there, there's another spot there to wedge that, to build that wedge. They don't know how to do it. We cut to Alfred cutting wood and then realizing what Wayne has been doing. 
And Superman shows up at Lois's place and tells her that he didn't see the bomb. And Lois says that his symbol means something, to which he responds, his wrong means nothing anymore. Lex finds Superman's ship and assumes command before diving into the Kryptonian archive. So this is pretty much what Lex Luthor does in the second Superman Donner film. <laughs> yeah. He's learning everything about what Superman's about. This is what? when I wanted Lex Luthor to become crazy, is, you know, the, you know we ha- I have the knowledge of a thousand worlds. I want to teach me everything. And just that over-absorption of knowledge just to make Lex snap. Yeah. yeah I got to say, you know, with, with the Lex Luthor inclusion here, everything he does after creating Doomsday sucks. Every single thing. He adds absolutely nothing to the story, and the convoluted way that we get these characters together makes zero sense. And after he created Doomsday, he should have just gone away. His inclusion in this means nothing after that point. We could have had Doomsday just stab him as soon as he comes out of that. Like That would have been perfect. Yes. He, tr- he tried to hit him. Superman saves his life. Yeah, Superman gave more about saving Lex Luthor than he does actually. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, we, it's, it's kind of infuriating after a certain point. We get the Batman training scene, the suit-up scene, as he does pull-ups, pulls tires before approaching the weapon he'd been after. This was kind of cool, actually. I don't know if this was CGI or not, but, man, Affleck sure worked out for this part. Oh, that, that, that's all natural, because you'll see in the other movies, he doesn't look like that. <laughs> no. That's so why in Justice League, he did, yeah, that bat's a little puffy, but shit, he looks amazing here. Yeah, like, this is, um, like, when you think of Batman, this is kind of... Him being the peak of physical perfection, this is kind of what you would you would imagine. He finds archives and footage of Wonder Woman, and he also finds the picture, which is from 1918, which should cause a little bit of head-scratching here. Mm-hmm. We get uh, Michael Shannon. We get a cameo from him as a dummy as Luther puts him in a ship and bleeds on him. And since the Council of Krypton is destroyed, he gives the order to proceed with merging the cells. This is where I really started, because we knew Doomsday was in the movie, because the, the trailer revealed the it. The trailer spoiled that. Yep. I'm like, so wait, Doomsday is going to be the byproduct of Lex Luthor's blood and General Zod's body? I, again, the word I use is fascinating. To make him the love child of Lex and Zod is an interesting way to go. Yeah. We don't even learn how he, well, even in the extended cut, you know, it's not that he finds something on how to create this Doomsday. Again, we have lots of... T- Talking heads giving questions of whether or not Superman was involved in the explosion. We hear that the wheelchair and bullet from the scene were made from the same metal and that the inside of the chair was lined with lead, meaning that there was no way Superman could have seen it. And that brings up the question again, Matt, how did he know that? Yeah, and how does Lois know that Superman cannot see through lead? It, but but I like that this scene actually adds context because Lois realizes, oh, he just brought groceries, so he wouldn't have caves. It's both smart but also unintentionally hilarious. She's a better detective than fucking Bruce Wayne in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) We see a flashback scene with Superman and his father, Kevin Costner. Oh, how much money do you think they had to pay him to do this? Yep, that happened. Because he looks like he does not give a fuck. No, he doesn't want to fucking be there. Absolutely not. He tells Clark that the nightmares eventually stop and that he misses him. This is basically a parody of that scene in Silence of the Lambs where she talks about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how the horse, how the lambs wouldn't stop screaming. It's the lambs wouldn't stop screaming. <laughs> Alfred tells Bruce that it's suicide, and he says that he's been fighting criminals for 20 years, and Alfred says, so falls the house of Wayne. And then we see Martha Kent taking the garbage out at a run-down diner that she's working at before getting kidnapped. More on this later. Why couldn't that fucking 
redhead dude from uh, the first movie get her a job at the House of Pancakes or something? Like, why is she working here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a question we'll talk about next year. Yeah, absolutely. We see Batman looking up at the bat signal with glowing eyes as Lex says that the night is here. We see Lois now get kidnapped and taken to the heliport. And Lex has his plan in motion. And in order to get Superman here, he pushes Lois off the building. Thus begins the final third of this film. Lex, you already have Martha. Why the fuck are you pushing Lois Lane off this goddamn building? Because from here on out, he just becomes a cartoon supervillain. And this movie, from here on out, operates on cartoon logic. But not good Bruce Tim cartoon logic. Like cartoon logic of what high school students would animate to pass their shop class. My favorite part of this whole thing is Superman catches her, rescues her, because of course he does. He doesn't even ask her what happened. He just sets her down and heads away. Oh, God. Uh, this one is like, I'd rather bring I, I'd rather bring you in in a million broken pieces, but I'm going to do you this kindness uh, and just bring you in normally. I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you, Superman, for not breaking all of my bones, you dick. Lex starts egging Superman on, saying that he has a date across the bay with the Batman, and he needs to bring Lex Batman's head if he wants to save his mom. And by the way, you have less than an hour left, which in Superman terms is a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, why would you not just fly around the world backwards? <laughs> oh, God. Wonder Woman, meanwhile, does more encrypting and sees the photograph that she had been looking for, and then she sees the heroes in action that we are going to be getting in the next movie, Flash, either saving a robbery or committing one, take your pick with the person playing the character, and Aquaman mugging for the camera before destroying it, and the worst of all, the creation of Cyborg. God, this scene was fucking stupid. And this was the point when I really turned on this movie, right here, this fucking scene. I like that they included this in a movie as opposed to fucking endless end credit scenes which are the norm on some other ones. To put in perspective, Phase 4 of Marvel, every movie of theirs now since Endgame has just been one credit scene in every movie since has been introducing a new character for later. And I hate that shit. I really resent it. I do. Especially because a lot of times it's done poorly. And I'm not saying that this is done great, but I'd rather it be in a movie. I appreciate that LexCorp also makes the logos for these characters, the way to go. They're also yeah. great at branding, but I, I don't have an issue with them, you know, having this, this metahuman division that they're trying to find. I think it's at least, it's a quick, easy way to be like, bam, here's who's coming next. I didn't find this all that egregious. I just thought the Aquaman one was laughable. He just pokes his head out with his pitchfork. It's like, hey, get off my lawn. But... <laughs> I prefer this than having to sit through origin stories. Granted, we'll, we'll get the Wonder Woman movie was an origin movie. Aquaman's got a half one. But they established that metahumans already exist in this universe, and Lex Luthor clearly knows about them. So at least this doesn't come entirely out of nowhere. My problem is adding Cyborg to the Justice League. I always hate yes. when they do this. He is a yep. teen titan. His best teen stories titan. are when he's a teen titan. Adding him, they added him just because they needed some racial points. Because they weren't going to do Green Lantern because they shit the bed, but Jon Stewart would have filled their quota. Yep, get Common. Yeah, oh, well, Common's in the next movie we're going to talk about, so. <laughs> Wouldn't Lex also have Superman and Batman on this as well? No, because Batman's not a metahuman. But Superman is, right? Yeah, he is. He's an alien. But Superman's already got his logo. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> He's out and proud. He's not hiding. Lois says she wants in the middle of the fight, and here we go. Batman tries overloading his sound before Superman picks up some manhole covers and stops it. He then takes out some machine guns, and they make a point to show that no one is even close to being in this building. Uh, Superman has, <laughs> he's had enough shit, and he takes out the bat signal w- with Batman. I did like that when he throws him. So here's the fight we named the movie after. I mean, I remember going back to the buildup of this. Everybody would change their Facebook picture to like whether you like Batman or Soup. Here's what we got. And you know what? And Matt, you mentioned this at the very beginning of this plot summary. Snyder sure knows how to shoot stuff. And this is a beautiful fight to look at. I enjoy watching Batman unload lead grenades and then hitting him with this, what is this, crypto gas? What is this? Yeah, he, he broke down the kryptonite into a aerosol form which was cool, and the WWE event is on as Batman starts kicking the shit out of Superman, but (laughs) Superman throws Batman, and then the gas wears out as Batman's hitting him, so we're getting even more hit. This was kind of cool when he's trying to punch Superman, and the uh, gas is worn out, and Superman, he's (laughs) back to being the Man of Steel, and the glove gets fucked up. That was pretty cool. How are you guys liking this fight? I think this fight scene is great. It's what you came here to see, and it delivers. With that said, very few things in life had made me laugh as hard in a movie theater that was dead silent, as Batman ripping a kitchen sink and yes. hitting Superman with it like it was a steel chair in the middle of WrestleMania. My problem is not the fight, because I'm with you guys. I think this fight is glorious. And this was right when Jen had sat down and started watching this movie with me, and she was kind of getting into it too. My problem is just the over-convoluted way in which they get here. And we've been building this up as two big superheroes against each other, and we have to maneuver everything around the fact that they are kind of forced into that. And it doesn't feel like a genuine fight to me, especially with the way it ends. It's like, Jesus Christ, this doesn't feel anything like what you have built it up to be. So Bruce is now without his mask, and he starts hitting Superman over the head with this kitchen sink, as you mentioned, (laughs) and takes him down even further before throwing him. He takes a kryptonite spear. He's about to take him out before Superman pleads that that they're going to take out his mom, and Batman puts it together Oh, wow. They both have moms named Martha. I got to say, boys, this scene is every bit as bad as I remember. (laughs) I had the same exact good old reaction. This was laugh-inducing. You know, not too long before this movie came out, I wrote an article about how similar these two can be, including down to their mother's names. Before this movie came out, wrote an article on this. I think I'm the only person who liked Martha and what it meant, and how it got them together. And even Affleck, the lighting and the look on his face, when the, why did you say that, Nate? I like it. I like it a lot. And I know I am on this fucking island all by myself, and I don't care. I hope Aquaman's in the water you're in, because, yeah, you are by yourself out there. Yeah, God damn it, Adam. Do you have room in that lifeboat? Because I'm with you. Oh, my God, (laughs) you guys. You guys cannot be serious. Oh, this is awful, guys. I will say, the dialogue written throughout this fight, I can't stand. I like what's going on. I hate the dialogue that's written. I like this moment. I think it matters. I'll even mention, you know, they, they swell the score up here, and, and, you know, I'm one who always loves dwelling into the scores because I'm the one who puts them at the beginning of the end of the fucking podcast. I can't pull anything from this because the score by Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL, it's not good. And they try to well, no, I do not like the score to this at all. Uh, I, I like most of the compositions. There, there's one that I despise with the power of a red sun. But <laughs> I wish when, when Superman comes down, he should say, Lex Luthor has my mother. Please help me. 
Why would you not lead with that? But yeah, exactly. Like, I get Batman not listening to him, but it should be on Superman to try to reason with him. When they find out their moms have the same name, Batman just stops, and now they're chums as they put together Luther's plan, thus ending the title of this movie. Too bad there's another 45 minutes you have to sit through. And by the way, <laughs> Alfred somehow knows exactly where Martha's located, because of course he does. Oh, this fucking ending in this movie's terrible, guys. It's terrible. The final third, once Lex Luthor pushes her off that fucking building, it's terrible. I do, I do love when Bruce says, Batman gets in the plane, he goes, I don't deserve you, Alfred. And he flat out tells him, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> I like this Batwing bat as well. This is a great, like, the design of the vehicles are fantastic. See, yeah. this one I'm okay with. They're shooting at him, and he's shooting around the vehicle. Absolutely. If I shoot a barrel next to you, yeah. if I shoot a barrel next to you and that barrel blows up, tough shit. As long as I don't shoot into you, I'm okay with it. Yeah, this is the, uh, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah. kind of Batman. As uh, Jen said during the scene, he took the Chevy to the levee. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you guys want Amy Adams' uh, American Pie? In this movie. <laughs> I will say I have taken a lot of shots at this movie, especially at the end here. But my favorite scene does happen here, as Batman starts taking out all these hostels. I love how he's using it's fucking amazing. I love how he's using his wristband as a shield from the blades. All of this. Is fucking badass. Yes, it could be taken straight from an Arkham game. In fact, it probably was, knowing Snyder. Probably is. Including him disabling their guns. Yes, absolutely. And breaking their arms. Yeah. Yep. Steven Seagal style. All of this is really good. I love the way they're trying to use his cape to whip him around, and he's like, he's having none of it, and he takes all these guys out. I will give Snyder this. This scene here is fucking great. Yeah. Ben Affleck's. Stuntman does an amazing job. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you, you know, but yeah, pulling him down by the cape. I mean, I can't be the only one that yelled out, no capes! <laughs> Thank you, Incredibles. Okay. Taking the knife in the shoulder. The dude that tried to shoot him in the head and it bounces off. I mean, oh, yeah. kicking the dude in the uh, in the room with the, the grenade rolls in after him. It is shot just kinetically. It flows from one to the next. This is when Spider does great. Yeah, I love how heavy this Batman is, where he takes out the knife and stabs the guy in the shoulder. <laughs> Same spot. <laughs> but the way it's cut, it looks like he stabs him in the chest. Yep. Batman then shields Martha from the blast before taking out her main captor. And then he says that he's a friend of her son, and she responds, I figured. Because, you know, <laughs> capes. So, this, this part is so out of place. It, it really is. I love Diane Lane to be able to deliver a moment like this. Diane, I hope she got a nice paycheck for this, because, my God, I can't believe she had to utter this dialogue. Supes finds Lex, who's disappointed that the bat couldn't get the job done, so he unleashes Abomination. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Doomsday. Well, it's a CG abomination, because it looks like shit. What is this? Troll! Troll in the ship! It's a fucking cave troll from Harry Potter. Dude, no, Matt, you know what I thought of? I thought of Jason when he's unmasked, and Jason takes Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> holy shit you're right so so doomsday let, let's get into this okay he is not a character he was a vessel created just to murder superman outside of his run they have just used him as a tool he does not have any personality he is just a weapon so it's consistent with what the comics did but i knew they were going to off superman just instinctively you don't bring in doomsday and have him just be disposed of without taking Superman with him. But cosmetically, I think this design choice that they came up with looks... The rendering is terrible. They try to mask it because so much of it is shot 
and the darkness, but there's no, there's no weight to him. He's just a big boss fight. Because the movie feels like it should be over once you have the fight. And it's like, no, there's another 45 minutes after it. Yeah, I'm with you. All the all this stuff with Doomsday, that's where I turn on the movie. We see a massive CGI fight between the two combatants. <laughs> one that is nowhere near compelling to me. That's uh, CGI nonsense. This is what Scorsese and Coppola talk about when they think all superhero movies are yeah. shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they're talking about. Wonder Woman sees the fight happening on the news and then leaves the plane because she knows it's finally time to add another superhero to this mess. <laughs> Superman and Doomsday, they fight through space as a nuke hits Stryker Island. Doomsday just keeps getting more and more powerful, though, as Batman flies in and tells Alfred that the kryptonite spear might kill it. Meanwhile, Superman gets near the sun. Lois Lane goes back to get the spear, even though she doesn't know they need it. Great reporter. Oh, God. Uh, Meanwhile, Superman gets near the sun, making him gain strength. Doomsday attacks Bats has him cornered before Wonder Woman comes and blocks his attacks. And again, this got a massive response from the audience I was in. My theater erupted. Yeah. Erupted. When I took Madison the second day, because I wanted to check it out first, and I took her because, gosh, she would have been like nine, Mm -hmm. eight when we saw this. She leapt out of her chair. She was so excited. Three of them have a powwow, and Batman and Superman ask if she's with either of them. They all attack Doomsday, and more CGI fights take place as Lois tries to find the spear. Because, as Matt said, she knows exactly where it is. (laughs) (laughs) Soups now, he knows that his woman is in trouble, so he rescues her, because of course he does. Leaves the middle of a fight. Leaves right in the middle of the fight. Doomsday because Lois. Yeah, I'm going to leave him with Batman who has superpowers. Right right before she rescues him and then grabs the spear. Well, it's appropriate you say that considering how Zack Snyder portrays Superman as Jesus. To be fair, that's been done since 78, though. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Bats is in trouble as Lois tells Clark not to do what she thinks he's going to do, which is drive the spear into him, thus killing them both. Why not have Wonder Woman stab him? Yeah. That was my exact next question. Lois cries over him as the other two stand over him. Well, that's because Gal Gadot doesn't know how to cry. (laughs) I love the score that happens as soon as he starts picking up. In fact, when he goes back to Lois, I think it's called Part of My World or I can't remember. I think that's the name of it. And it's just I love that part. And then when he picks up the spear, as soon as he starts flying, that music all the way through when it punches out of Doomsday's back. One of my favorite scores in this entire piece. It was easier to find scores for Alien vs. Predator than it was for this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. We see Steppenwolf form because we got to set that up, right? Well, we had to, and this scene is not in the theatrical cut. (laughs) Really? I don't remember. Yeah, which which is also baffling. Because I'm like, really? You're starting with Steppenwolf? As Lex is taken in and conveniently has his head shaved. Oh, for because, fuck's because, sake. Because that's what they do in prisons, right? <laughs> I bitched about this in X-Men Apocalypse. We don't have to explain why bald characters are bald. <laughs> we see Superman's funeral as he's laid to rest. And Martha, Clark's Martha, that is, gives uh, Lois the engagement ring that he was going to give her. Again, not in the theatrical cut. This wasn't... Wow, I don't remember. Nope. The funeral is really truncated. Like, you don't see Perry White show up like he does in this. Hmm. Yeah, it's short. The only thing they really do is show that coffin that looks just like the Death of Superman comic cover. 
We hear an anonymous donor has paid for the funeral as Superman is lowered down. And then we hear a clunky conversation between Bruce and Diana as he tells her that he needs to find others like her. They need to stand together as they fight, they kill, and they betray one another. But they rebuild because they have to. He says he needs to find others like her because of a feeling he has. This is so god-awful. Oh, my God. Why would Affleck go from an Oscar-winning fucking movie to this? Because you know, he's, a, he's a fan. They cut away. They don't show his face for most of this monologue because he was too busy smirking at this bad dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, can you come write this? No. No, I'm off butchering Star Wars. <laughs> by, the, by the way, it should also be said, too, that Snyder is the one who directed this, so he could have changed it any time. Oh, yeah. Well, you could say that about all the choices in this movie. Yeah, that's true. Lex is told that the warden wants to talk to him as Batman comes and says that he'll be watching him. He says he arranged for Luther to go to Arkham, but the rumbling is happening because Ding Dong the God is dead. This is also changed from the theatrical cut. I was going to ask that. There is no mention of Arkham Asylum. Oh, really? And here, in this cut, they confirm that Lex Luthor knows Bruce is Batman. So at least that's tied together. But... I thought we were going to get prison rape for a sec with how, <laughs> with how quickly he was coming towards them. Hey, man, the R-rated cut, you never know. Yeah, I was like, well, I thought we were going to get sodomy, to be perfectly honest, with that branding iron. Jesus Christ. That's Go. kind of what the last 45 minutes of this movie is the equivalent of, but... I'm not kidding. Lois drops dirt on Soup's coffin, and the lid shakes as if something wants to come out. But why would you come out in this universe? Tread its roll on... Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Wow, that's quite a plot, boys. Quite a plot indeed. What I thought they were going to do, I thought they were going to mimic exactly what happens in The Dark Knight Returns, but flip it. In that book, towards the end, you think that Bruce is dead, and they actually bury him. Robin is sitting there with a spade getting ready to dig him back up, but there's a funeral scene. Superman is there. Superman turns to walk away, and then there's a panel of of a flat line, and then a panel of a heartbeat, and you realize that Superman could hear that heartbeat, and he turns around and realizes Bruce is actually still alive. And I thought what we were going to get as we were panning away from it, I thought we were going to get that thump, 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 just to let us know that he wasn't gone. Because they'd mimic, you know, they'd taken so much from that book, I thought that was going to be the last last Frank Miller thing they were going to do here. I had a different prediction. I thought that you were going to see a laser shoot out of the coffin, but it'd be an Omega Beam. Insinuating oh, that now, he was now possessed by Darkseid. Darkseid. All right, that does it for Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Scale of 1 to 10, what do we give the 2016 blockbuster of superhero movie? Uh, man, no matter what we're going to say, we're going to piss somebody off. So (laughs) I might as well just go to Adam first, get as much love out as we can. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I think Gary and I have, have had these same type of discussions. Um, WrestleMania 12 versus Sean. <laughs> yep. Alien versus pre- Aliens versus Predators. Which one we actually care about the most? And now we're discussing our superheroes Superman yeah, versus exactly. Something's never changed in 30 years, bud. <laughs> 30 years of the same fights. Uh, you know what else came out this same year was Captain America Civil War. And. What that movie did was put together the superheroes that you wanted to have fight and, and put them in an empty fucking parking lot for some of the most boring action scenes fucking ever. This one, when you get finally to the battles and fighting, and in this edition of it, it's two hours before the fighting starts. 
Say what you want, but Zack Snyder knows how to make superheroes fight like superheroes. He did it with Man of Steel, where for the first time, when these Kryptonians fight each other, it's actually action-packed. You know, and, and you feel some kinetic energy, and, and you feel like they're actually super-powered. This movie had everything that it needed to be a $2 billion blockbuster and set DC off and Warner Brothers off the right path. Well, guess what? Now Warner Brothers is owned by Discovery, so things did not go the way they wanted. It is just the epitome of sloppy dialogue. It insists on you knowing a lot of things going into this movie if you want to catch all the references and all the things that they want to do. It's pretentious to the point of, I mean, Zack Snyder is an amazing filmmaker for certain movies. You look at Watchmen, and maybe one day we'll discuss it, but what he did to that to what they called an unfilmable movie, I think is brilliant. He mimicked that book to a T. When he's creating something, though, and adapting and changing it, I don't think it's in his wheelhouse. He's an amazing shooter. You know, for a movie that is filmed a lot on green screen, it looks fucking good. It really does. I love the score throughout this movie. I like the story as much as the dialogue is shit. The art designs that we get in this, the look of the characters... Uh, they talk about how they brightened up Superman's suit, and I don't know what the hell they were talking about in this thing, because it looks... I mean, you might as well have just put this thing by freaking Paul W.S. Anderson, by his gray and blue, as he's filmed most of the time. And it's a disservice to Henry Cavill, because I think he is a very, very good Superman. I just think it's a shame he hasn't been given a chance to shine. Affleck's debut as Batman is fantastic, and I don't think it's going to get any better from here on out. So... When it comes to this being on, I am very happy to watch this movie. Watching it at home now, I can ignore the things that I don't like. But I saw this thing three times opening weekend. Like, I kept going back to it. Because there's enough in here that I can enjoy, and I can ignore the stuff that I don't. You know, Jesse Eisenberg, great casting. I can't stand the performance. Most other castings, I like what they did with it quite a bit. If you're going to watch one, I say watch the Ultimate Edition. Give yourself time, because it's a three-hour movie, and it's a full three-hour movie. But I like this one. I like it quite a bit. It's It fits in my pantheon of DC movies quite well, so I'm at a solid seven. Seven out of ten from Adam Bunch. Gives a very good case for himself. Goudreau, what do you have to say, sir? Man, this, this is a movie that more so than, I think, any movie in this retrospective, the parts are greater than the sum of the whole, in my estimation. I think when the when the pieces are being put in play for the first hour, and you're really getting to understand the worldview that this Batman has. And let's be honest, this is a Batman movie much more than it's a Superman movie, so much as his name is first in the marquee. Ben Affleck is top billed. He probably has more screen time, and it's probably by a decent margin. I think all that stuff, the build-up, comes from a good place, and I think it, it does ask the right questions. Much like Adam, I think Snyder knows how to paint a picture better than almost anybody. There's some... Things that I never thought I would see on screen, I got to see for the first time, and it was kind of euphoric. I never thought I would see the death of Superman visualized on screen. I never thought I'd see the Trinity together. I never thought I'd see that Dark Knight Returns armor. Um, hell, I never thought I'd see Batman fight Superman in a big-budget movie. For a movie called Batman v Superman, the fight itself does deliver from a visual standpoint and from a just fangasm type of expectation with how they use their various weapons and, and tactics. Fortunately, I think this is a movie that is undone by a script that is being pulled into too many directions. Rather than choosing one through line to really build everything off of, it feels like this is a tree with too many branches. And it does excel at 
atmosphere, but the last 45 minutes of this movie is dog shit. I'm not going to mince words on it. I think it's boring, and I think it's wasteful. All the intrigue is gone. It's a movie that tries to convince you that these two characters are not heroes. That's an interesting perspective, especially in 2016 of all years. There's decisions here that I question, but there's quite a bit here that I like. But when it comes down to my score, and this is the one thing I really wrestled with, they're asking me, is there more here than I dislike? And despite my critiques of this movie, and I expounded numerous ones throughout this recording, I do enjoy the experience. But a lot of that does have to do with Affleck carrying this movie on his on his back and Snyder in the, the visual department. I wish this got another pass to really iron it out, no pun intended, but all in all, I can't call this the worst thing ever made. I don't fall in the camp that views this as a terrible movie. I think there's terrible elements, the biggest one being how Superman is handled, which we'll really talk about next year, for the most part. So all in all, I'm going to land on the softest 6 on 10 that I could possibly give. That the Astral Cut is a 3 on 10. I think that movie is as bad as its reputation. I do think this is a significant improvement. But this movie is like having a really great steak, and all of a sudden the waiter comes up behind you and squirts lemon juice in your mouth, and it kind of sours the experience. It's a flawed it's a flawed mess. I'm still going to give it a, a, a mild stamp of approval because there's some stuff that I do like a lot. You don't like lemon juice on your steak? Not when the waiter comes up behind you and squirts it in your mouth. <laughs> you know, coming in, I'm really glad that this movie fell in or with our Batman retrospective because, as you guys have both pointed out many times on this podcast, Snyder wanted to make a Batman movie more than a Superman movie. And I think when we get to Superman next year, I want to have a lot of things to say about how Superman is handled in this movie. i got to say, though, looking at it from Batman's point of view, looking at it from the Batman character's point of view, looking at it from the character's point of views that we have been reviewing for the past month and a half or so, two months at this point, this movie, to me, don't come at me, haters, this movie is every bit as bad as its reputation in my eyes. I just do not like this movie. Although I shouldn't say at all. There are points I do like. I do like the build-up, and I do like that fight when Batman's getting ready to rescue Martha. But everything else around it, I wanted to love this movie. I wanted to even like this movie, and I can't do either of those things. Snyder, every single time I think he will find a way to make me like him, just does things to dig further and further into that hole. I will say Ben Affleck, tremendous. But, man, this movie is its a tough thing to get through, and I can't believe I'm going to have to do it again next year. But to me, this is... I can't believe, Matt, that you landed on a six. This is way lower than that to me. I, I want to go four on ten for me. This was just tough to see. But that was the end of Batman v Superman. So next week we are looking at Killing Joke. Now, I haven't seen this. I know this is one of the most well-regarded comics in Batman lore. I do remember when it was being made, a lot of people were really, really looking forward to it. And I remember, much like this movie, once it came out, word of mouth hit, and my God, did it just, just hit the skids. What do you guys expect next week when we review Killing Joke? Yeah, that's one, yeah, I was very excited for it. I did see it in theaters at the Fathom event. In fact, I saw it with my wife, Laura and I saw it together. A night out without the kids. Very excited for it, especially because they got the animated cast back. You actually got Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill to be in this, and that's the only way that they agreed that they would come back and, and do the animated um, animated voices again. So the team that they put together to build this was, I was very, very much looking forward to it. The comic 
you know, we can discuss as we get into it, but I have the comic. I have more than one addition to it. I have thoughts on Alan Moore's treatment of it now compared to then. Alan Moore's kind of a quandary. He's a he's an enigma, you know, no, no doubt about it. But this was a movie I, I saw in theaters. I have the DVD, and I've watched it since. So I'll be prepared. I think it's going to be – I think there's some interesting things to discuss next week. So I also saw this in the theater, and I was – one of the more excited people because this is the comic that Mark Hamill said I will come back to do if it's ever if it's ever adapted properly I'll be there and I remember leaving that theater it, it, much like Die Baby Superman it was like a funeral because you could tell who had read the comic versus those who had not <laughs> uh, and, and what was not in the comic dominated the conversation which I I don't think was intended plan nope <laughs> that so, is still what was discussed yeah I'm more excited to talk about the movie than I am to actually sit down and watch it again. And this will be a first time watch for me. So I honestly have no idea what to expect. I do remember the hate, but I'm going in again, like this viewing, I'm going in with a complete open mind. Who knows? Maybe I'll come out liking it. I I don't have any affinity for the story. I don't remember reading the story. So this should be an interesting talk next week. But boys, after talking about Predator for a few weeks, and then going into this, it's been a rough few weeks of reviews. We've had a month straight of pretty. Although Matt you or to. Adam, you you like this one? I gave it a six. I like this one. I fall under the camp of like. I, I I like this one. I'm not saying that I didn't wish that we had a film that we were discussing that was a little higher on the list. You know, <laughs> the next couple of weeks aren't looking all that much better. God damn it. <laughs> well, I will say there's an anomaly coming up down the pike that I guarantee yeah, will be a uh, a fight between us but when isn't it a fight honestly <laughs> on this podcast but uh yeah i think we're done with the versus movies for a while boys i don't know about you but i'm pretty much versed out <laughs> next week we will go to killing joke and keep in mind me and matt are recording a wrestling podcast and uh, the first one should be up by the time this is up hopefully depending on how i feel next week uh i should be able to get that one up and going for you guys but please keep coming back if you like versus movies you'll you definitely like wrestling so i think it's fun that me and matt are finally getting a chance to talk about wrestling and we give big reasons as to why that is so exciting for the two of us and the third will join us for run-ins every once in a while so we're looking forward to diving more into wrestling as months and years go by. So uh, keep checking back for that. And then next week, we are going into Killing Joke. And then right after that, Suicide Squad. The Batman's coming down the pike. It's coming down. And to give people a preview, too, and I'm going to say this the week before we review The Batman, none of us know each other's views on the film. So it's all going to be new to us. Yes, we do have a thread going on between the three of us, but none of us have even spoken a word about what we feel. And so that's what's going to make that podcast an interesting one. So keep that in mind when we get to it. But boys, it's been fun talking Batman v Superman, but it's time to go to bed. So uh, until next week, when we talk The Killing Joke, do you listen to podcasts? You should. Good night, boys. was good his was better thank you for listening to this episode of the three men in a retrospective podcast i read your work insightful naive but insightful join us next week 
for an entirely new review. Ooh. Talk about your cold shoulder. Just a note, the three Chris Nolan films are not going to be part of this retrospective as they were covered by Matt and Garrett on the binge movie aftertaste just a few years ago. Never rub another man's rhubarb. To hear those takes, please head over to www.bingemedia.net. Okay. Go ahead. Intimidate me. Bully me if it makes you feel big. I mean, it's not like you can just kill me. Actually, it's a lot like that. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. Voice narration by Adam. I hate when people talk during the movie. Edited by Garrett. That miserable waddling mountebank of a bird, he couldn't finish a bag of popcorn. The Three Men and a Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. People to kill so little time. Why did you say that name? You boys ready? Yeah, backup is going, so I am also when you gentlemen are. Give me that backup. Alright. Uh Matt, give me countdown, we'll go. Three, two, one. Shit, hold on, I lost it. (laughs) Damn it. All right, here we go. <laughs> you want to go again? <laughs> yeah, please. Why did you say that name? I think when he gets to the party scenes, he melds very well. I like Affleck a lot in this role. What about you, boys? As somebody who... I... Oh, go ahead, boy. Matt. Matt, Matt, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Matt. As the person who is skeptical... Why did you say that name? But this isn't that continuity, though. No, it's not. But that would be very personal for Bruce any, in any continuity. That is an issue I have with this. Uh, I'm sorry, Adam. Let me, let me go real quick before I go to you. Go. That, that yeah. is an issue I have with this. Why did you say that name? We hear that the wheelchair and bullet from the scene were made from the same metal. Uh, from, why did I say it like that? Were made from the same metal. Why did you say that name? Oh god! Uh, this story is like I'd rather bring I, I'd rather bring you in in a million broken pieces, but I'm gonna do you this kindness uh, and just bring you in normally. I'm like, oh yeah, thank you, Superman, for not breaking all of my bones, you dick. Adam, do you have something to add to that? No, it's it. Once we get up here, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> Lex, Lex starts Egg and Superman on. Why did you say that name? Yeah, I'm with you. All the all this stuff with Doomsday, I that's where I turn on the movie. Yeah, maybe they went back to Kevin Smith and Dogma because this thing looks like the old Gotham shit demon that shows up in that movie. I never saw that movie. You never seen Dogma? No, Dude. I never saw Dogma. Why did you say that name? Wow, that's quite a plot, boys. Quite a plot indeed. What I thought they were... Sorry, uh, Matt, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. Yeah, what I thought they were going to do, I thought they were going to... Why did you say that name? But that was the end of Batman v Superman. Next week... What is, what is next week, guys? I completely forgot to look at the schedule. Killing next week. Joke. Next week's what? Killing Joke. Oh, it's Killing Joke next week. Oh, oh wow. Oh, boy. Oh, I think that's going to... Oh. Oh, that's going to be animated. Yeah, it's Killing Joke and then Suicide Squad. And then Suicide Squad, okay. So next week we're looking at Killing Joke. Now, why did you say that name?